Before we start today's show, I want to give a shout out to our partners for this podcast, Vitality. They are an essential part of me being able to facilitate these conversations. I've been an ambassador now with Vitality for several years and always the one thing that stands out most for me is just how much they care about people's health and are so keen to enhance their experience of life whatever way they can. They understand as much as I do. I think it's never about quick fixes or the one pill fixes everything. It's about the small, healthy, proactive behaviours sustained through a lifetime that can lead to incredible differences. Not only does Vitality protect members with award-winning cover, but they also offer discounts on gym membership, trainers, activity trackers and healthy food too. So you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes. Head to vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply. This week's guest on the I Am podcast is Alice Bull, and her speciality is sophrology. It's a practice designed for enhancing our engagement in the present moment. Sophrology is definitely interesting to me because it's all about exploring the relationship we have with ourselves, with our gift, and with our performance. It's a technique being employed all around the globe in sporting arenas for sure, but more and more also in the business world as well. Personally, I think it holds power in any field where people are finding themselves closing down due to stress and pressure, feeling trapped, uninspired, or just overwhelmed. For me, our absolute involvement in the now and in life is what cultivates the ideal conditions for our potential to blossom and reveal itself in some way. New dimensions of understanding, of connection, perception, they all come into our awareness when we surrender our boundaries. Thank you so much to Alice for a fabulous experience, a fabulous discussion, for sharing everything you're into, everything you've uncovered, and everything that's coming for you as well. I love knowing that so many people are embracing this kind of inner work around the world. It fills me with amazing hope and excitement for the future. I always release an episode early in the week, a few days before the main guest interview becomes available. And in this sort of 10 to 20 minute slot, I attempt to set the scene for the upcoming conversation and share some of my own ideas and thoughts as well. I really hope also that you enjoyed this episode to hear so much more about the mind, the body and the opportunities that sophrology holds within it. Please do keep sending your thoughts, your questions, your reviews. We're going to be doing a few specific question and answer episodes soon, I think, as well. So if there's anything that's grabbing your attention or asking to be asked, then just let us know. Don't hold back. My name is Johnny Wilkinson. This is the I Am Podcast with Alice Bull. Alice Bull, thank you very much for joining me. It's a real pleasure to have you with us on this I Am podcast. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real honour. No, not at all. It's going to be an exciting chat. I know I think we've got lots of common touch points between us that we'll definitely get to, but I'm really keen to hear loads and loads about your backstory. So on that note, can you give us just a little bit of background as to what your speciality is and what angle you might come from when looking at human potential? Yeah, sure. Um, I My background really, first of all, was in sport. I used to work in British tennis back in the 2000s. And uh, it was a time when Tim Henman was very much the, the British, the main British player. And I used to find it fascinating, the amount of pressure that was piled on him and the expectations. I used to think it was so fantastic how he managed to deal with that for such a long time. And then I then moved into the financial sector, a completely different change. And again, I noticed that actually the people were going through exactly the same experiences. They were going under through the pressure of performing, but in a different way. And expectations on them were the same and actually realised that what they were going through in the body and the responses that the body was having were, were exactly the same as well. So I started to become really interested in that. And then I actually, 10 years ago, underwent so three years of very large operations. And when I was 24, I was diagnosed with a BRCA gene, which gave me a very high chance of getting breast cancer and also ovarian cancer. So when I had my second child, I made the decision to have both my ovaries and my womb and my breast, all everything removed. And so that then really made me look at my body in a different way because it had been 
a vehicle for having children and suddenly it wasn't it wasn't the same anymore and so I had to sort of see it as actually more fundamental than that it wasn't just I wasn't just a mum or it was actually the essence of me and I started to look into then how my body affected my mind as well and so that then sort of led me into the interest of uh, I looked into the nutrition but then I also started to I found out about sophrology and I found it really fascinating because I hadn't heard of it it wasn't something that I was particularly conscious of and it was I was very interested in the fact it had been around in Europe for 60 years and yet we hadn't really heard of it over here so I trained in sophrology studied it from Geneva because there are very few places in the UK that it can be studied and I've sort of started this fantastic journey and for me it's really been an incredible journey of understanding learning about my body learning about my mind and how those come together and learning about the essence of sort of really being is and I sort of now have gone back really to my passion of sports so working with athletes and also working with businesses and sort of getting sophrology better known in the UK really. Wow that's, that's amazing <laughs> and I'm sure there's so much there that I'd like to explore, but obviously whatever you're willing to share. But to clear things up on the first sort of part of this, can you give us a bit more of a definition or or at least try and sort of elaborate a bit on sophrology and how that fits into it? So what is that and why has it been around? Why are we not hearing about it? And what does it mean to you? Yeah, it's sophrology is really a self-development practice that helps to combine the mind and the body to sort of discover what's called this phronic region, which is an area where you find the space and time inside your true essence and your ability to be quiet, to be able to act rather than react. And the way that that is taught or the way that sort of I work with people is we actually do gentle breathing techniques, we do positive visualizations, gentle movement, some meditation, and it's attention release exercises. And we take people through those exercises and for them to be able to relax the body and then calm the mind, but keeping the mind alert, it starts to really enable them to tap into the sort of the subconscious and to be able to focus there on not only to go back to negative experiences in the past, which are currently affecting their present. And it's really important for them to be able to sit with those and be comfortable with those, but also to start to integrate a lot more of the positive memories, the positive thoughts into the present, and then help that to sort of inform the future as to where people want to go. So as I say, it's been around in Europe for 60 years, and it was set up by a neuropsychiatrist who at the time was back in 1960, was working with patients who were mentally ill, and they were giving those patients the electric shock into the brain and insulin induced comas and they he decided that this was I mean he said why does the consciousness need to be shaken to be healed he didn't think that this was a humane way of helping people so what he did was he went over to the east so he spent two years with yogis and he studied yoga and balancing the body he met the Dalai Lama studied Tibetan Buddhism he studied Japanese Zen and then he worked over in the in the west he was a psychiatrist and a neurologist he also studied psychology and then he also spent a lot of time looking at phenomenology which is the experience of things as they are to someone in the first person so how we experience things through our perceptions our beliefs, our memories, and he put it sort of all together in this fantastic technique. And and it started to grow. So when he was in Europe, he started in clinical settings. So it started in hospitals and it was taken on by cardiologists and obstetrics. And then it started to move into sort of MRI scanning and people who were fearful of childbirth. And it was then that he started to move it into other countries and he moved over to Switzerland and a doctor called Dr. Raymond Abrazol, who actually sort of started to use this process and then realized that this could be quite useful in sports. So he started working with tennis players and started to see really good results and then was asked to work with the Swiss ski team and since then worked with cyclists, sailing, 
footballers, golfers, all sorts, and started to see real results. So I think between 1967 and 2004, he had over 200 podium winners at the Winter Olympics. And since then, it's been used by the French rugby team. It's been used by players at Paris Saint-Germain. It's um, Seve Ballester said that actually a lot of he used to go to the bathroom before he played and used to practice sophrology. And he said that so much of his success was down to sophrology. So it really started to grow. And over here, I think it, it combines elements of of mindfulness, CBT, NLP, lots of different things. And I think we'd heard of those individually, but when the French doctors did actually approach the British Medical Association and say this is something that, you know, is is really used widely in Europe, they weren't necessarily interested in taking it on. It's almost like those disciplines you talk about over in the East, the more spiritual side, which seem for many integrated in the more Western, I guess, almost rat race style lifestyle, it seems almost an impossible out of reach idea that it almost obligates some kind of leaving behind or divorcing of your actual life in order to go and do this. And yet in the the West, there's this sort of therapeutic, psychological unpacking that feels endless and sort of such a challenge and, a, and, a, and a, such a confusing cycle of things. And it seems to me, and it's almost how I've kind of brought about some of my coaching style of things, is that there's a contemporary matching that fits the present style of life, which is, you know, maybe we're finding a bit more time where we can have some time with ourselves. And maybe I did hear someone, Eckhart Tolle, it was say that for the West, you know, the spiritual practice is just relationships. <laughs> you know, if you want to be challenged, just go and hang out with someone and try and live together or whatever it is, or, or even just have parents or whatever, you know, whatever your siblings are. But it's really interesting that that's coming about now. You mentioned at the beginning, pressure seemed to come mm-hmm. out quite early. And you mentioned having podium winners in the Olympics and obviously some high level sports people, what's, what does that relationship with pressure look like through the course of sophrology? If it's having a sort of opening and powerful effect, what does it look like as that path takes place? Well, with sophrology, it very much goes through quite a guided process. And I think that helps. So what we start with looking at is the body. So what's really important when I've worked with athletes is understanding the body and how the body actually reacts to how the mind is thinking. So we do a lot of exercises around being able to notice when we're thinking of something that's stressful, where that stress is in the body, feeling how the body's reacting to that. And so certainly when they're out on a court or out on a pitch and they're feeling tension there are exercises that they can do where they can start to release tension so for example we often think that the mind influences the body which absolutely does but the body also influences the mind so funny enough I was talking to my children yesterday and they're starting exams and they said well what do I do if I get stressed in an exam and I said well if you just take a pen and I said and you stick it in your mouth and I said but stick it across your mouth like this and they're looking looking at me thinking you spent all your life telling me not to stick the pen in my mouth and suddenly so I said stick it across your mouth and don't bite on it particularly hard but I said that automatically then starts to produce a smile on your face because it pushes up the corners of your mouth and and I said that your body will then instruct your mind to start releasing hormones that will make you feel more relaxed and so you'll get the sort of the serotonin the dopamine that those sorts of hormones that will help and so it's getting the first part that we work on is really getting people to listen to the body because the body it lives in the present and so when the mind is moving backwards and forwards between the past and the future the the body will only really do what it's told there and then and it believes what it's been told there and then so when somebody is out playing and performing and they're feeling particularly stressed it's teaching them different techniques whether that is through breathing we do a lot of tension release exercises so A sophrology exercise will always start with breathing techniques that will help them to either relax if they need to relax or it'll help them to be more energized depending on what they need. And there's always an intention for every sophrology exercise. So we set the intention of what someone wants and then sort of work towards that. And then we'll tend to do a body scan and that very much then helps them start to calm the brainwaves down, starting to get into that sort of alpha brainwave state and start 
starting to really relax and become aware and consciously aware of what's going on in their body. And then we tend to do some tension release exercises. So I'm currently working at the moment with the British tennis player, Jack Draper. And for him, it's being able to be able to relax in between points or be able to relax when at change of ends. And so we do a lot of tension release exercises of scrumpling up the muscles and then just releasing and letting go. And that's great for relaxation under pressure. And then a really key part of it is actually pausing and just listening to what the body's doing because we so often don't listen to the body until it actually hurts and there's a sort of underlying health problems or it's giving us a warning that something's wrong. And so actually through doing this, it's just about sitting and listening and noticing and that starts to really increase your awareness, your conscious awareness of what's going on in the body and what the body's telling us. And then we tend to do other visualizations. So with business, it's being able to go out and give a presentation and feel confident. And again, coming back to the body, noticing with the five senses, how that's feeling in the body, where, where do we fit if we're going out to play on a court? How can you feel the so the ground underneath your feet? Can you feel how a tennis racket might feel in your hand and using that? And so that's the first part that we look at in sophrology, and that's with any people, we sort of get them to understand really living embodiment, basically, of understanding what it's like to be inside your body and start to notice those sensations. And then we tend to move on to the mind and the mind this area, we start to look at the mind and also understand the five senses as well. But the mind is very much, well, it's incredible in the way that the, our thoughts affect sort of our emotions and ultimately our actions. And I, I sort of use an analogy of a wine glass and the base of your wine glass is really the underlying phenomena, the essences of yourself. That's your body, your cellular memory, your, your tissues, your all of the sort of bases of the essence of what makes you and those we're not conscious of those and we don't sort of we don't know what we don't know they are there but we're not we're not aware of them in the conscious mind and then you sort of go up into the stem of your wine glass and in there you have the this is your sort of subconscious mind and in there are lots of experiences that will be positive some will be negative and then some will be very neutral if you've just been down to the shops and you had neither a pleasant or an unpleasant experience there's that memory still there so these are sort of your habits your memories your your personality your identity is all in that sort of subconscious area where we're not consciously aware of it but it's there and it's just below our consciousness. And the scientists believe that this is really where we live for 95% of the time. And then at the top of the wine glass is your sort of your conscious mind and your conscious experiences. And these tend to be positive, negative, and also neutral. And these are the sort of the present phenomena. This is what people see on the outside. So this is your personal, your actions, your directions, your self-expression. And where sophrology really helps people is it actually helps by tapping into where the transformation can really happen is down in sort of the stem and the base of the wine glass, where you can really start to transform your essence of being you can start to transform your subconscious mind so that more of those sort of positive experiences positive phenomena come right up into the top of your wine glass so that you have more of the positive they'll still be negative and it's not to say that it's living in rose tinted through rose tinted glasses there'll still be negative experiences there but it's how you then start to look at them and how you perceive them changes when you're able to very much focus more on positives and start to build the neural pathways where you're focusing more and more on the positive outlooks. And then those negative ones become less. It's almost like a forest. If you're going down a path and you are constantly trampling down one path, which is negative, if you start to leave that path and go down a new path, that's a positive pathway, those negative neural pathways are going to start to overgrow and, and get less and less. And so what we do is we use what's called called the reticular activating system, which is a, a network of neurons at the base of the brain. And that area is goes out and looks for evidence of whatever you're, you're telling it. So if you believe that you're not confident, that reticular activating system will go out and find evidence that you're not confident and show it to you. So you believe that's your truth. And it's key that that's what you believe is the truth. It's not necessarily the truth. That's how you see it. And so by using that 
reticular activating system, what we do is actually get the brain to start looking more for, for evidence of positive experiences or going back into the past for positive memories. So with athletes, it can be going back to and feeling and remembering sort of positive events that have happened in the past and then bringing that into the present so that their past is very much helping them understand how the body feels, helping them understand the emotions that they feel in the present. It's quite fascinating. You speak about that wine glass with that process of awareness. Is that what's happening almost like there's more access to those things you mentioned that are deeper. So as you become more and more aware to the subtleties, to the nuances, to the sensational stuff, as opposed to that noise of of mind, you mentioned about the base of the brain, kind of the belief that's held about who I am, my worth or whatever, or, or what I'm capable of, or what life is for me, looking for the same thing to reinforce itself and to wind that cycle tighter and faster and, and feed it and what have you almost witnessing awareness of stepping out of that and allowing it and seeing it and recognizing it, but not engaging in it analytically, simply just witnessing it, that it is a happening. Is that what sends you deeper down that stem? Because it's amazing getting caught in that loop because for many people, when you're not, when you're in that space of distrust there's a lack of self-trust. There's like you said, that confidence for me is a real relationship with the unknown. And when the unknown is always a threat, for me, it, yeah, whatever it was, it was to do with humiliation or with a sense of achievement. And if I'm not achieving, then I'm nowhere and I'm nothing and I'm doomed. And therefore anything out there that could take away my possibility of achievement is a threat. You're looking for that threat. And therefore all those processes you're talking about, that visualization stuff, it's happening but it's happening on the process of survival. So you're visualizing the worst case scenario so you can find anything that's slightly out of pattern, any threat, and you can go after it. And then you kind of work that out thinking that, hold on, if that's the worst that can happen and I've found a roughly an answer, then I'm good. But then of course, that feels slightly relieving. So your brain says, let's do it again <laughs> because yes. you know, it's kept me safe. And then suddenly before you know it, I mentioned about that pressure relationship as a child where you, you have a different sense of who I am you can't help but dream about the most phenomenal stuff and how everything's feel-based and you can sense yourself being there and you go looking for excitement everywhere. And then all of a sudden there's that sort of gentle, gradual switch starts to take place. And later on down the line, you can't help but just survive everything. Is that awareness really feels like for me the trigger point and I, that, absolutely. And I, I think the thing is that as we grow older, we become so much more aware of preconceived ideas or beliefs or how what other people think of us. And I think that, as you say, for children, they do live an awful lot more perhaps in the stem of the wine glass because they can focus a lot more on the positives without the outside pressure of what other people think of them. If you certainly look at toddlers, they don't, they don't care what anyone thinks of them and they are very much living far more in that sort of real essence of being because they don't have that sort of pressure on them and I think certainly with sophrology we tend to really say to people that you come at it with no judgment of yourself so the idea is that you don't judge the fact that you can't feel anything or you don't judge the fact that you're not doing it right there's nothing to succeed at and and it's very much allowing just allowing whatever it happens whatever you experience very much just allowing that to be and then also just putting aside any sort of preconceived ideas that you might have so some people might think well I, as you say you you try things and you force things and it hasn't worked and I I tried these techniques and it really didn't work and it's very much allowing yourself to clear the mind and sort of say okay but this is something different this is a new experience and then also it's being able to approach things with curiosity and wonder and really as if it is for the first time as if you're like a child doing something for the first time because that's when you do start to really feel that ability to tap into what is in that sort of the subconscious and leave behind all those pressures and the more you do these the exercises or the more you train the brain to go down those more positive neural pathways then the more that that repeated experience comes about and absolutely it's definitely being able to sit with some of those feelings, but also being able to 
understand that everyone has the capacity within them to be able to focus far more on the positive areas of life or to just be able to experience things as they are. It's We so often think we have to sort of have this positive or negative result but actually sometimes it's just sitting with things and sometimes it is just experiencing them seeing how the body responds seeing what the mind's saying to us i sort of read from someone just very very recently talking about meditation was saying that if you if you're getting the sense that you haven't got a clue what you're doing you're probably doing it pretty well whereas (laughs) if you're meditating thinking i'm doing a good one or i'm doing a bad one the thing is is you're probably a long way from the the more impactful opportunity and with what you're saying it's quite interesting you mentioned about going into memories that hold kind of certain powers and some need releasing and what have you but it seems as though when you speak about tension it's almost like there's a certain tension that is aligned with as you've mentioned before past experiences and as another one of our guests we spoke to a while back was talking about how we can just focus so hard on the few things that haven't gone to plan and it's those that we embed with that strong emotional sort of attachment that really brings about all kinds of tension and there's so many that are going pretty well become the neutral <laughs> that don't hold the power instead of actually remembering them and and seeing them but it's 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 interesting that that tension i find it fascinating how those kind of events or those experiences can really create or they can actually be already an archetype type of stance that you hold already creates those situations. But for me personally, you know, it's bizarre because you can, something can feel not good at all and you can almost hate it, but you keep triggering yourself to go back there and relive it over and over again because for some reason it feels comfortable even mm. though it's horrible, even though it's not what you want, even though you know it's not the answer. It's almost, you know, for me, for example, one of those archetypal things was I did not like the idea of things going well for me. I didn't like it. I felt hugely fragile. If, you know, I des- I know deep down I desperately wanted to achieve and I wanted people to say great things about me, but if they did... I couldn't live in that space. I had no answer. I had no recognition of it. It was so out of my comfort zone. And also, I didn't know who I was in that space. But I knew who I was when my back was against the wall. So I just used to create the story that it's going to be taken away from me unless I work hard. And these, someone out there's you know, got it in for me. Or you'll lose this and then you'll pay for it. And if you rest on your laurels. So I did everything I could to put myself back in that space that I didn't enjoy. But it was... those memories you're talking about, whatever it was that either were a continuation of that from a previous life, or maybe they were from this life and they were what triggered some of it. I don't know, but it was really interesting that so much of that tension and that behavior, it was so real to me, so real that I would think this is my life and this is what it's meant to be for me. And it's just tough. And it's so easy for everyone else to walk around and be like that and laugh and joke, but I've got to suffer here because, and when you look back at it, it's amazing that the possibilities outside of that were always there waiting, but there has to be that readiness and that kind of devotional, that commitment or that push, that calling within you to step over that boundary but geez, you know, it's, it's hard enough to even find it, let alone to know it's there, let alone step past it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that, as you say, there is a comfort in that, even though you know it's not right, there is that comfort in going back to something because it's familiar and you almost know what the outcome is going to be. And so therefore it's it's more comfortable for us to know that than necessarily not knowing what the outcome is going to be. And certainly one of the things that we look at is going back in the past to previous childhood experiences and things like that. And that was something that for me, when I was training, I I was worried about because I lost both my parents a while ago. And I just thought going back into childhood memories, I thought this is going to be something that is going to be painful because it always had been, not that I had had a lovely childhood. It was fantastic. I really did. But it was actually going back to those memories. As you say, it brought back discomfort. It, It made me feel unhappy because my parents weren't around anymore whereas actually what happened with sophrology and going back into the past was actually being able to come to terms with that and actually 
looking back with a sort of form of gratitude, really, that those are the experiences I, I had had and bringing that sort of gratitude into my sort of present day. So it can be really uncomfortable going back to those feelings from the past. But actually, it's in a way, it's reframing how we look at those. Yeah, like you said, for me, it was a sense of doom that just came out of nowhere. And as a result, I think it was an early defense mechanism that just said, right, this is my relationship I'm creating with life. But it wasn't. It was my relationship with that doom <laughs> because that's what life looked like for me at certain points. But yeah, it's really interesting because all of the things which were about becoming receptive to opportunity that were channeling my gift and were allowing for that engagement and self-expression all of those things were what I was holding at, at bay through that defense space you know like gratitude as you mentioned such a big one when you feel grateful for life it's not one of those where you walk around saying thank you for life it's when you just know it's great to be alive and that I belong here it's almost like those kind of opening and channeling and powerful receptive states we want them so much but we also don't want them. And that I think is one of the biggest things about self-worth is that is that self-worth is uncomfortable because we're, we're quite powerfully talented at having a view that puts the world against us and the idea they'll never work out. And I think if you see someone that has the opposite state, they might stand out as being quite irrational according to society. You almost spot the odd one out who's kind of grateful for life you're like what are you doing you know do you not do you not know the score but it's but yeah. it's, it's, it's so powerful to have that and I think for me the other part of this is so so big is that the experiences you're talking about with going and releasing emotion and things just changing so quickly I've been aware of it in rugby and I've been aware in, in the rest of my life where you're in a state and it just is so real and it feels so eternally unavoidable and insurmountable and then it's not and the outside hasn't changed the same way that when I was 17 or 18 at the beginning of a rugby career professionally the pitch just looked like the most beautiful place and the ball was just the thing I wanted more than anything and then age 26 the pitch is pressure and expectation and the ball is something that is a threat to me that it's basically the ball is trying to do everything I don't want it to do. And I'm trying to say to you, I've got to survive all of this. But when you look at it, nothing has changed. And it's so powerful to because the thing that came for me was that I had to change the outside. I had to win. I had to do this. I had to make this happen in order to get the feeling. But it's amazing that the feeling we can access and work with and the outside doesn't change shape, but it looks and feel so different. And I guess that's maybe the experience some of these players are having all of a sudden where it isn't a kind of gone hang in there for two years and it will come. It can be momentary. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's when you're able to access that area where with the mind and the body, you sort of, they combine to make this sort of, as we call it, the phonic region, which is where there is the space and the time to act. And you're not then constrained by preconceptions or your fears as you say so much of how we live is actually based on how we perceive the outside world to be how we create this truth in our lives which isn't true and a lot of that is actually based on our beliefs our habits all these things from the past that are sitting there in our unconscious mind and also a lot of how societies sort of we we go along in this we call it ordinary level of consciousness where we believe that we just go along on sort of autopilot, really. And actually, we create our lifestyle around how it's always been. We're not particularly conscious of what we're doing. We see things as a threat because everyone says they're a threat and we don't actually stop and think. And then when we're able to get into a sort of this phronic area, this, this essence of being, you're actually able then to see for yourself and to say, well, actually, this isn't the reality. This is my reality I'm creating, but it's actually based on either things that have come from my past that are triggering these sort of thoughts and feelings in my mind. And, and those are creating emotions that are then affecting my actions and my behaviours. Or actually, this is something that someone is telling me and, it, and it's not correct, but I'm believing it. And therefore, when you're in that moment, you're able to say, well, 
I need to decide for myself and I can decide for myself if this is reality and I can actually create my reality. I have the choice to make my reality and to be able to choose. Actually, I don't want to be scared of this anymore. I want to be able to take a challenge. I want to be able to take on things that perhaps in the past would have created fear in me before. And that, I think, as you say, it's when you're in that zone, that area or the flow state or whatever, it's being very much almost closed off to the pressures from the outside world and being able to sort of act rather than react to everything, which is really powerful. I think that that brings up two things in me. One is the the calmness and composure and the relaxation, which from a physical standpoint and from a, a mental standpoint, away from that tension we're speaking about, which for me is a movement away from compulsion. So when you're in a calm, composed space it speaks of a lack of urge and compulsion, reactivity. So already there's a new opportunity within that. So that ability to set that inner relaxation, that external relaxation, that that postural kind of of stance that you know sets you in a new space and direction. But then from a mental perspective, you meant about the visualization, it's suddenly getting your dreaming capacity back independent of what has been before and what is now because it's it's phenomenal how we want to be creative or I certainly would have wanted to be or was so creative when I was younger I, I look at the way I played the game and the things I did and the things I came up with and the way I saw life and it was so creative and then you start to pass your creativity almost like a through a kind of testing process to make sure it's okay so you go through society's values and what has been and the rules of what has been and the rules of of what is right now and you pass your creativity through it and you sort of say well once it gets validated there I'll use it afterwards but afterwards there's nothing left it's become just more of what's been and more of what everyone else is doing and the independent nature and the freedom of dreaming and visualizing uninterrupted by the narrative of, like we said, of the suffering, the sacrifice that leads to this kind of joy at the end, which hasn't seemed to work for anyone. But, you know, and even the archetype I was talking about, I had a couple, I had the saviour archetype where I really wanted to be the one that had to be the saviour, which meant I couldn't do any of the celebrating because I had to be the one that everyone looked at and was kind of saying, oh, you know, thank God you're there in a team, as well as the whole kind of I had to be achieving for my worth and all of this kind of stuff mixed in. But all it meant was that, very early on, I just couldn't dream independently anymore. It, my dreams were so mixed up with, like, with all this conditioning. But those two states there of that physical relaxation, that mental liberation to dream, I think in there is the answer to changing the world because we're gaining more ability to respond as we become less compelled to react. And not only are we able to respond, but our responses have an unlimited sort of scope because of our dreaming ability yes yeah and I I think actually when you're in that area of this chronic region this oneness it is that infinite unlimited possibilities because as you say it is being able to be creative it is being able to be imaginative and almost going back to that childlike state where you can imagine whatever you want to imagine but you can also feel it in your body because you can use your five senses to really notice because so much of the things we experience in life are through our five senses but then our brain tends to take that and interpret it based on all our preconceived ideas and our beliefs and our memories but actually being able to visualize things with our five senses but not using any preconditioned thoughts or beliefs allows us to properly become almost childlike it creates all this infinite possibility and you mentioned about the posture and when I work with both athletes but also with business people I often talk about posture and being able to use the body to your advantage and things that they call power poses where I was speaking to a cricketer who was going to go out on the pitch and was really worried about it and I said well if you use your body as well to give off a signal not only to the people that you're playing against but also to yourself so if you look up if you smile if you 
put your shoulders back and if you relax and you're able to go out there and that will tell your body that actually as we naturally know from animals if you look at a swan when they're trying to show power or confidence they open up their wings and gorillas are the same if they're showing power they open up their arms and their stance and these are physical natural sort of back to our ancestors days that actually these are techniques that we can still use to not only instruct other people that we're feeling confident but also that actually that our body then instructs our mind that we're feeling confident as well do you know I, I like the idea of of that kind of thing because you mentioned before about paving a new path through long grass as it were and the one that you've trodden a lot habitually and the one that like I said for me that was one that I kept putting myself in that position because that path felt comfortable I didn't like where it was going but it was sure an easy one to walk for me and even when I was walking I hated it but at least you know the path was laid out and I knew where it was going but that new path of a new response the work really happens when you're challenged and when you get that that trigger that says come on back to the old path now you know the deal you you know it hasn't you've gone out there into the middle of the wicket with your cricketer and you've postured and you've gone for it and you've got out first ball and so that that old path is saying what a load of rubbish you know it's it never works for everyone else it'll never work for me I'm just destined to be like this but it's then on the way back to the pavilion that you walk with that posture it's then when everything is telling you old habits and everything saying come on let's hop back into that old story those are the key win moments and for me the way I see it is almost like the as you pave that new path the future you is saying thanks because you're just making it a bit higher up on the list of of kind of options for him or her whereas every time you step down the old path the future you is going oh really come on what are you giving me here like you know I don't want this come on yeah play for the team would you you know like and, and, and I think it's it feels like that that it's those moments and you know the ones they are but they can escape because it's the beforehand where it's often the, I need it now in the changing room. But then if things don't go well, it's then as well. It's in the kind of deflation and it's, it just seems so irrational and illogical compared to everyone else who wants to sit and talk about and get in a corner and talk about who's to blame and what rubbish it was, but to stand there and go, and I think it often for me circulates around, what do I feel excited about here and now? What do I want to do now? Not what should I be feeling, but what do I want to feel? And where is that opportunity? But yeah, that's that's a really, a really big one. You mentioned, obviously, before we spoke a little bit about pressure. One thing I find is really interesting, you mentioned about the now as well, is that right in the full engagement of now, when it's deeply involved in that flow state, for me, there's the now doesn't come with a past and a future. It's just now, it's eternal. And when you're in it, you're timeless. And as a result, there's no such thing as a consequence. So as a result, when you're in the now, there's no pressure. And I'm interested to see, you know, how much of a lead do you take from that kind of flow state and how difficult it is it to look at an athlete and say, wow, you're in the flow state. But the problem is when you're in the flow state, it's quite difficult to report from the flow state because you have to come out of the flow state to talk about yes. the flow state. So we kind of yeah. we kind of need you to subliminally pass us messages. <laughs> so, but but it's some of this all this posture stuff and, and a lot of this mental stuff is it derived from actually talking to people about their peak experiences and seeing what relationship is actually taking place there. No, I think absolutely. I think it's very difficult to describe when you're in that flow state. I guess it's something that comes from feel. It's a zone where actually it's so current and it's your past and your future, which effectively is empty anyway, is not there. You're just in that moment. So some people will find it quite easy to get into that flow state, whereas others will find that very difficult. So everything is very individual as to who when you're working with someone how easy or how difficult they find that and for some people it's very difficult to leave behind those expectations on them and therefore it's impossible to get into that flow state if you're carrying with you those expectations or that fear likewise if you are looking forward to the future but you're putting your pressure on yourself that you well I, I I've seen this and I have to do this and I've got to achieve this again the pressure and that fear of performance will come so it's very much being able to be present and instructing people to be in that's very difficult because everybody gets to that at, at, a, at a, a different level or at a different time so it's a really individual experience you mentioned feel I think that's a huge one that bypasses 
a lot of the stuff you're talking about. I think also there's something about a deeper ability to relax and let go because not for any answer that it's going to solve those problems that lie in what if this happens like this and someone thinks this or what if I don't win this and I never get another chance or what if I don't get selected or what if this happens and I get injured or whatever. It doesn't solve those kind of issues, but there comes a realisation that they just don't matter. And it's that that somehow kicks in, which could be, I guess, for me, another way of looking at deep acceptance. There is this understanding that it doesn't matter because I know that everything I've experienced in my life tells me that I'm perfectly equipped for my here and now. Like you said, the absolute current here and now. I'm always equipped for that here and now. But I'm... I always feel ill-equipped when I try and leap ahead or when I try and go back. One of the things I find really exciting about what you're saying is that so many people listen to sports people talk or people that have done extreme events or feats, whatever it be, and they always say, wow, this is so amazing because it really resonates with me in my life. But it's so great to hear you say already that pressure is pressure, you know, and people experience it and can share so much about it. But do you see in the people you're working with transformations that don't just end with what they thought they were in it for? You know, I want to be able to deal with pressure better. And all of a sudden you go on this journey and it's life-changing, not just, oh, I got what I wanted, thanks very much. It's, is it opening doors into bigger and bigger experiences of life, do you think? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, so for example, with, Jack Draper, who I'm working with at the moment, he's a young, he's only 20. But for him, it's really getting to know himself and being able to cope with the pressures and the expectations as a young person. And for him, it's been a a fantastic transformation. So he's actually only today just broken into the top 100 in the world. And today, I think he beat the world number 14. And he's just growing in confidence. And he is really tipped to do incredibly well. And I think for him, what it's done is he's got so much talent. He's physically strong. But what he needed was the help on the mental side, just to be able to not only feel himself in his body, but also to be able to use those mind techniques. And we completely focused on that moment in the here and now. He's not thinking about the past point that something went wrong. It's very much a focus on the here and now. Don't worry about the score or your sort of five, four up in the set and what's going to happen in the future. Just being able to be completely grounded, completely embodied in the body in that moment. And the pressure can certainly be turned to your advantage. So I think that you can use that energy and you can use within the body, you can feel the the adrenaline. But I think it's getting it to a point where you can use it to your benefit before it tips over into becoming too much pressure. And that's when the heart rate goes too high. And that's when the breathing gets really, really shallow or you start to get the sweaty palms and things and that then can be very detrimental to when you're playing so it's being able to absolutely there's always going to be pressure and being able to to cope with that but knowing as you say that actually within yourself you have so many infinite capabilities recognizing which capabilities you want to use so whether it's the the concentration whether it's the focus those sort of areas and saying right these are the ones I'm going to focus on and I'm going to use those to harness this pressure and actually use it as an opportunity to learn and this is a new opportunity and actually by just relaxing by being able to use my body and my mind to relax myself and to be able to be in that sort of calm state of being I've got everything I need here and now I've just got to be able to use those to my advantage and use that pressure to my advantage yeah I I haven't thought about this way but bringing up what you're talking about is almost like sometimes been a bit resistant when it came to the term sort of coping with pressure, because it sort of brings about this idea that pressure is something that is an absolute reality. And by coping with it, you keep it alive. But in fact, actually, what I'm seeing through this is that the coping with pressure part is the challenge that says, because of these emotions and the sensations that you're having, you can't create the internal environment necessary. But actually, it's that challenge to say, I'm going to work to set those conditions and whatever that pressure appears to be is going to be part of what comes out of it. But it's setting those conditions, like you said, the relaxation, the embodiment, the feel, all the different techniques you're speaking about is is so powerful because 
it isn't the same every time. It's not like, okay, I know how to deal with pressure. It's like, well, the next one hits you. You're suddenly in that space of being like, well, hold on, this is a real challenge. And actually the answer is not, right, I'm going to choose to be inspired. Here's what inspired felt like. I'm going to do it now. It's the least inspiring thing possible. But actually by setting the conditions which returns yourself to that, the now and the possibility, then that's where you can say, I'm not going to do the same thing I did last time in this similar situation because I'm not the same person. I've set conditions. I'm not the same person. I can't be the same person because I'm here and now. I've only existed ever this once. And setting those conditions is a movement towards being the me of now and saying, well, the me of now is the only one that can receive this amazing stuff. The, the, the past me, unfortunately, can't receive anything. We always would like to give him something or we'll give them something and say, yeah, have some of this wisdom. But the wisdom's available here and now in that amazing voice. I, I think that's huge. You, you've mentioned a few times about embodied and feeling in your body and, and being okay with that. And I love the term of that about it, it gives me a sense of self-worth and a connection to your true self through the physical, not just through the the spiritual, the emotional. It sounds like, if you don't mind me asking, it sounds like you've had an incredible journey already physically with so many challenges. How's that sort of factored in your life? Has that been a, a, an interesting player in this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I at the time when I had the operations, I wasn't really quite so aware. And so for me, I kind of felt that actually... I didn't have the option. I needed to have the operations. And and it wasn't until afterwards that I really started to, I remember sort of saying that I felt at the time that it was a choice. And I was so grateful that I had that choice to do this and to have these operations done prophylactically so that it wasn't something that led down the future road that could have happened. So for me, I, at the time, I, I probably did feel like my body had been slightly mutilated. But actually, when I then started to reframe it and started to look at it slightly differently and to say, OK, but I'm still me and the essence of me is still there. So my identity, my personality hasn't changed. I then found it really interesting. My relationship with my body is very different. And so rather than it being a sort of a means to an end for something, it then became actually just part of me and I'm not so fussed about how it looks it's just I'm incredibly grateful that I'm here and actually that I have a body which is fit and healthy and I yeah I can and live in and I can experience it and I've still got all the same feelings and sensations which is fantastic it's so powerful but there's so much of that just in society about this is who I am what people see is who I am but when we're talking about how I feel life and how I and this deeper understanding of who I am. It's amazing to hear you say that that your body can undergo the changes and alterations, but actually you come to the understanding that I'm still me. I think there is, you know, I, I, want, I don't even want to think about putting myself in that space. You know, I had a few operations where I couldn't quite move my knee as far, albeit it's not that much at all. And yet I'm there going, oh, you know, I'm not me anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a shadow of what I used to be. But it's so powerful so hearing that that it it doesn't mean anything about your possibilities that your self-worth and your and people's incredible nursing and just sheer amazingness it's not about what you see it's not about how things turn out or outcomes yeah and I think really the body is only a small part of what we are. So I think our soul, our spirit, however, let's say that our essence is so much more than just the physical body. And I think certainly for me with sophrology, it's taken me down a real journey of understanding that I can listen to my body and I can understand it. But also that's not just me. There's also my mind. And, and then that's the, the sort of the coming together that creates the sort of the soul. And, and I think that that doesn't change whether your body is sort of t- bits taken off or whatever, that's still the same. And that essence of me is still absolutely there. And that doesn't change. And, and I think it is a real shame that there is so much pressure on people to look a certain way or to have a perfect body when actually the important bit is the essence of them. And actually that's what people should value. Yeah. Well, I think the idea of sophrology, I I didn't, I wasn't aware just how sort of spiritually connected it was and how into the psychology, it's almost like you said, it's a really, a really clever kind of bringing together of all things that maybe seems so relevant and powerful from different disciplines. But is there something that 
you're finding out with sophrology that seems to be a common denominator when people go into it, what they're uncovering about themselves, or even little things that we can do to help reveal a bit more of each of us. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that the key is to, first of all, to start to just becoming become aware of the body, first of all, and just to notice, just to sit for a couple of minutes and just close your eyes and just try and, it's often very difficult. A lot of people find it very difficult to to switch off. And this is something that certainly I've noticed when I work with people is that it's something that develops over time, but it's not, as I say, it's, it's not to judge yourself. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm not feeling anything, that's, it's, that's fine. Just just keep trying and, and every experience is going to be different. So every time you do this and just close your eyes and just notice the body and just even just talk yourself through different parts of the body. So start with your head and just go down and just notice. And I do find a lot of people notice different physical sensations in their body that they'd never noticed normally. So when they start to listen to the body, often clients will say, oh, well, I noticed I had pain in my shoulders that I'd never noticed before or, oh, my hips started to hurt. And it's just when you start listening and becoming really consciously aware of what is going on in the body that's when you start to really start to embody yourself becoming aware of the feelings and then it's just also just becoming aware of thought processes because thoughts are so powerful and and just noticing if you can start to just notice when your mind is taking you down that negative path and just to try and just become aware of that and and it's not necessarily easy to change that but the more you start to notice it and the more you start to focus it you can start to sort of almost take the power out of it because you become very conscious of the way you're thinking and when you're starting to become a lot more conscious of that you can start to then say okay well but there are positive things so I know that it feels like sometimes out of 100 things 99 of those are negative but when we start to look properly and look around and open our minds out to possibilities there are positive things but often we're so busy focusing on the negative things that happen in life and our brain's so busy going out there trying to find danger to protect us that we forget to stop and actually see the positive things so I'd really say to people because people have often said to me when they've done sophrology oh well I, I suddenly actually noticed some really positive thoughts or really positive memories and things that I hadn't thought about for a very long time. And a friend who's a psychotherapist recommended something that I do every night. And it's really great for focusing the mind and becoming aware of things is, is to sit every night and just write down it's called eggs. And it's first of all, it's E is something that you enjoyed that day. So, and it can be anything. It can be one word, but it really starts to focus the mind. And then the G is something that you're grateful for. And sometimes I sit at the end of the day, I think, oh, I don't know. And then I think, gosh, there's loads of things I'm grateful for, but it's just really focusing on them. And then the S is something that you're satisfied that happened that day. And you start to do that every day, that small little sort of process. And you really start to notice that you become able to get more and more things down on paper. And you think, actually, I'm not just grateful for one thing, but there's quite a few things I'm grateful for. And it just starts to change the way that your mind thinks about the positive and perhaps neglect a, a bit more of the negative yeah it, it sounds really like setting those conditions as we're saying you know in there you've got enjoyment a focus on your passion you've got the gratitude a massive r- sort of receptive ingredient for bringing to you those desires in life manifestations and so on and then your fulfillment your worth your sense of that i'm full already that i'm enough it's sort of like those are perfect in, ingredients. And also you're talking about sort of sitting and noticing and awareness. And it's amazing because we keep coming to this, that I've answered that question a lot of times now to people. And I've never heard anyone say, oh, you know, what you need to do out there is go and solve your problems. <laughs> it's straight away, solve them. It's always like, no, we've tried that. Everyone's tried that. And what you end up with is more problems. It's not to say that, yeah, they're not things to work out in life, but the potential for growth and what have you is in stepping out of the cycle. And like you said, as you become more aware, you become less involved. As you are able to observe more, you can't be observing it from within it. You have to observe it from without it. So as you observe more and become more aware, you must be removing yourself from that cycle. And I think the thing about being in the now and in that zone for me was that the moment I had the most impact for me was when it came to a moment, I don't think I would have been able to achieve had I not had 
the zone experience, which is when a ball gets past you and a kick of such magnitude is there in front of you, it's too much to deal with. But when you become an observing passenger who is just watching it take place, it's an understanding that I need to step out of this and stop getting involved in it and enjoy it and embrace it and be part of it, but not from the overbearing, credit-seeking, controlling space, but in that space of just, I'm grateful. And in that space, if it doesn't matter, because there's nothing to come after this, it's here and now, life is here and now. So what else could matter? And I think just that thing you're talking about there is, it sounds like you say, well, you know, just doing this for a few minutes, but you're like, what else is there? We go out there and we enjoy life, but when you want to sort of go somewhere new, you have to step out of the, you mentioned that trodden path. And if that trodden path is going around in a circle, it's even worse. <laughs> You're just doing the same laps. So, you know, step out of it and go and have a wander in that incredible deep grass and, and go and see what, what's lying there. And I think that's really, really powerful. And for the future, you know, what do you see? Do you, you see sophology growing? Do you see sports people, word of mouth? You, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, players here and then suddenly it branched out to teams here and athletes here. So it's a growing phenomenon. You think that this shift in an understanding of performance in the fact that the unknown and this sort of this uh, worthy embodiment of sensations and feel and giving up you know, this sense of needing. You think that's a shift that's taking place in sport and maybe in the sort of commercial world as well? Yeah, definitely. I hope that people become more aware of it, certainly in the UK. it's. I, I think there's certainly more recognition now in sport, especially of being able to support athletes with men, I call it mental fitness, really, and being able to help them prepare to deal with pressure. And, and I would love to see sophrology growing more in that area. And it's certainly something that in this country, there's a great network of sophrologists, probably only about 200 at the moment in this country, but more are training. And many are from France and Switzerland and places where it, it's really well accepted and recognised, but it's certainly a growing number. And I think what the great thing about sophrology is it is, is so, applicable to so many areas so for example in France it's taught in schools because for children it's a great way of dealing with anxiety and, and worry so in a lot of schools they will have it there they also as I mentioned before have it in the hospitals and then in business it's widely used in business so I would love to see it growing more in business and also in sport and I've been talking to some of the football teams to see if it's something that actually they might take on and be able to support because every player has their own individual issues and every player has something that they are bringing onto the pitch that if they could just then be in in the zone and be able to leave that behind and actually just be themselves in in the present then that will definitely help with performance so I would love to see sophrology growing in this country definitely I, I really think that in terms of that next step we mentioned that I mentioned those two voices certainly there are me that I want this so much and there's another voice that's saying I don't and becoming aware of that voice, the first step, but then the, you know, even the next step of something like this, it's the bigger challenge because it's easier as it was for me to go out and do another couple of hours on the field, easier to turn up a bit earlier and get in the gym, easier to watch a bit more video analysis, easier to criticise others and myself even more harshly, easier to go through more stress. It was easier to stress myself, easier to get more injured, harder to stand there in the unknown and be in a space of newness. And this is what this is. You know, like I said, it's, it, it doesn't come with 10,000 hours guarantee of, you know, you will do this. It's a, a movement towards unlocking your genius and allowing it out to say that that's, for me, seems like if you're going to play sport and you enjoy it and you want to do your best in it, you at least want to see what you're really capable of. And you want to see, and, and there's, when your genius is in action, it, it it does feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, this is my calling in life. When my genius is out, this is my calling in life. When I'm trying and I'm struggling and I'm resisting and I'm, I'm making things look tough and I'm grafting away, you sort of like, this can't be what I'm here to be doing. <laughs> everyone has their moment. And I think bringing out that genius is huge. And I really wish you yeah, really good luck. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm, I'm really excited to know that this kind of option is available for people when they're ready. You know, when I was 20 when I was probably 19, 20, I don't think I'd be knocking at your door. I just wasn't really, do you know what I mean? I, I, I would have 
the same way that I probably never sort of got a massage in the physio room until I was probably sort of in my thirties. You know, I just, for some reason I was locked into this idea of survival that go in there and just fight and do it harder and, you know, put more on your shoulders. And that's the winning attitude. But of course, then there's health, there's beauty, there's longevity, there's life, there's inspiration, there's growth and there's connecting. And this is what this sounds like. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes down to sort of definitely a degree of mastering a sort of a technique and understanding, feeling and discovering how that feels. And then that can really lead to a sort of a transformation, sort of starting to really set your intentions and then helping your behaviours, the thoughts, the unconscious processes moving towards a real transformation. And I think that's what's really exciting about what sophrology does for people. And yeah, yeah, I'm really, really grateful that I've had this opportunity to talk to you. It's been fantastic. Thank Uh, you. Cool. I I think it definitely sounds like something the future you is not going to regret that you you had a go at, definitely. No, it's really cool. Thank you so much, Alice. And uh, I hope it goes well. I look forward to hearing about it. And certainly you give me some names to follow now in the sporting world. So, you know, you're doing a a hell of a job. So good luck to your, your athletes as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. But until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Mags Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. Before I go, I want to say a final thank you to the sponsors of today's podcast, Vitality. For me, the secret to a happy and healthy life is about living consciously. And when we can align those little things we do and decisions we make every day with the life we really want to live, it really makes a difference, which is when the team over at Vitality comes in. Their comprehensive cover enables us all to live a happier, healthier life, whether it's through offering discounts on gym memberships at Virgin Active, Nuffield Health or Pure Gym, or on activity trackers from Garmin, Polar and Samsung. For me, I've been an ambassador with Vitality for several years now, and undoubtedly the feeling of true support when someone cares about you and your health and your quality of life, it makes a massive difference. So you can take the small steps to make the meaningful changes. Head to vitality.co.uk for more information. Terms and conditions apply.